You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball. I'm joined today by our special guest, Sachin Govind. Sachin, firstly, thank you very much for coming on the show. Could you... Talk to us a bit about how you first became interested in investing and your investing career to date. Hi, Sam. First off, thanks for having me. I've actually listened to your podcast, so it's quite weird actually being on it. So investing history to date. So I'd probably say I started in 2020. Like, I think I came out of uni in 2018 and, uh, sorry, came out of uni in 2017. Obviously, my pharmacist did four years at uni and then did a year training to qualify in 2018. And then between sort of 2018 and 2020, I was just sort of finding out who I was as a person, did a lot of traveling, did some courses, various sort of industries, was looking at sort of trying to build something. I always knew I wanted to build something. Even during uni, I was always like, this is my degree. But if I stumble across something that interests me and I think I can build like a business of some sort, then I would go and pursue it. But then obviously lockdown happened. And around 2020, I read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad read a few of the little books and I'd been listening to podcasts before that, but I've never really read any books, to be honest, since uni or before uni. So read Rich Dad Poor Dad, The 4-Hour Workweek and The Millionaire Next Door. And then this led me down this weird and wonderful journey of self-development, um, entrepreneurship, learning about business, and also starting to learn about the fundamentals of investing, both within property, within stocks and shares, crypto, and NFTs are starting to emerge. So I think, yeah, that's probably a, a good sort of summary. So since about literally probably just after the just after the dip, that's when my sort of journey started. Um, so we're probably coming up to about two years of, I'd say, focus, commitment to learning about investing and actually going out there and trying to learn about the, the sort of the topic of investing as a whole. When you say investing as a whole, um, we are primarily, oh, most of our listeners, they are listening to us to talk about stocks and shares. You're... Could you just talk about what you mean by investing as a whole and like what, what you think you've learned? And then also, could you start then taking us down the property rabbit hole? Because that is why you are on, because <laughs> we've never had anyone <laughs> talk about property before um, and you um, don't struggle there. <laughs> so what do I mean by investing as a whole? I think what I mean by investing as a whole is basically trying to develop as a person, uh, becoming trying to basically grow as a person and become a better human being also that's also investing in yourself so whether that be you know investing to to learn investing you know to learn about relationships whether it be to learn about entrepreneurship whether it's be investing to learn about friendships i think investing is usually used as sort of a a term around sort of money and the stocks and shares market and property but i think investing is actually there's a there is a wider term and i'd probably say investing is is, comes into the category of of sort of self-development when you did end up like looking at more general investing, what yeah. what attracted you to property specifically, and how did you end up going down that rabbit hole? Okay, so like I said, I was always wanted to try and build something, whether it be a business or something for myself. And basically, I didn't want to go down the route of, you know, build a startup, sleep on mates floor for three years and hope it pays off. You know, I felt like I'd done a lot of work in uni and felt like I'd sort of sacrificed my 18 to 23 years trying to become a pharmacist so I was like well what can I do that doesn't mean I have to live this like really simple lifestyle I can still enjoy life and also means that I'm also building my wealth and I stumbled across obviously the first book I read was Rich Dad Poor Dad and in that book he talks about he talks about a lot of things but the the biggest takeaway was property and cash flow and the importance of cash flow and the property can provide you and can be a vehicle for increasing your cash flow i know when i was younger you know i think terms are thrown about like oh he's worth this person's done really well and they're worth 100 million or they're worth a billion or they're worth 50 million um but i think that it doesn't really tell you the whole story of that that successful person it doesn't tell you how much money they're making because you don't know how much cash flow there is and i think with property it's something that's very controllable and it's something that is exists forever. And if you look at the top a thousand richest people, I think 900 or so have invested in property or have made a significant amount of wealth from property. 
So this is a vehicle that people older than me, people wiser than me, people more intelligent than me have used to build up massive amount of wealth. On the other side of the coin, it's also a tool that can that has lost people a lot of money. So, you know, as someone who's fascinated by what successful people do and and trying to mirror their habits, both within investing and property, but also outside of that, relationships, health, et cetera, property seems like a vehicle that you you can control a lot, um, you can scale very rapidly, and you can also, it's very structured. You know, you start with one property and you can, you just keep scaling. There is no end path. You know, you can acquire as many properties as you want, or you can acquire as little properties as you want. You are in complete control of your destiny. And for me, I'm someone who who likes being in control of their destiny. So, you know, th- there's no, there's no, there's nothing sort of, you know, it's not a, say, a, obviously houses are products because you've obviously pr- got to provide a great product, but you can control your future almost. And that's what I like about property. And you can also control how much you make, you know, if you want to make, you know, a grand a month, then you can, you know, work out, work backwards to, to work out how many properties you need to earn to earn that thousand pound a month. If you want to earn a million pounds a month, you just work, work backwards. How many properties do I need to own to earn that? And that's why I love property because it's very controllable. It's, I can see it. There's also the leverage element. You know, the, the bank is willing to, to lend me a lot of money to, to buy property because they think it's safe. And there's also, you know, there's also the, the element, element of and providing good quality homes in a country that is, has a shortfall of suitable housing. We are falling 100,000 homes a year below what we need to be building. Um, and so that means that, you know, there's always, there is a shortfall that isn't, unfortunately, the government isn't putting steps in place to be able to to sort of rectify this issue. And I suppose the final issue is this, this whole generational wealth. I plan on keeping some of these properties that I buy for life and passing them on to my kids. If I ever have kids, if I don't, then obviously I don't don't know what will (laughs) happen, but you know, I think generation wealth is is quite an interesting concept, and is with property you have the ability to 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 do something amazing, both for your community, but also for your for your family. There's a couple of questions I want to ask. So the first one's a bit of a leading question, and uh, okay. I know where you're going to go with the answer. How much money do you need to get started in property? Well, so this depends on your strategy. You know, it depends on your strategy. In my opinion how much of your own money do you need in theory nothing you can and this is what i love about properties that if you can acquire the skills and the knowledge you can use other people's money to acquire properties and i'm not doing that right now i'm currently using a lot of my own money to invest but i want to get to a stage where i have the the skills and the knowledge to 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 try and acquire acquire properties and mainly for the challenge of it there is obviously other strategies that you don't need money, for example, rent to rent or deal packaging where you need a very low amount of money. I'd say probably in the region of less than £5,000. But again, doesn't necessarily have to be your own money. If you can provide enough value, then people will invest in you. Yeah, so what is it that you're looking to do in property then and that you're doing currently? Okay, so what am I trying to do and what am I doing currently? So my goal is to build a portfolio up. So my parents have been involved in property for quite a while. They built up a very small portfolio, but they'd done it the hard way. They'd built up a portfolio that was paying down mortgages and not using debts and was saving, saving aggressively. So it's taken many years to build a very small portfolio. My goal is to significantly increase this portfolio um, and build it using leverage, um, build it, like I said, Obviously, I want to get to a stage where I'm using other people's money and basically just challenging myself. The main focus is building a portfolio, but it's also just growing as a person and and challenging myself almost. Again, I might go into small developments, building houses in the future, but I just want to, I've got to make sure that I actually enjoy it because one of the reasons I'm actually doing this is because I actually enjoy it. I find it fascinating. And if I don't enjoy that, then I don't want to do it. But right now, my sole focus is building a portfolio up. 
So yeah, that sort of summarizes that. And what am I doing right now? So at the minute, yeah, I'm just obviously trying to meet enough, meet the right people. I feel still feel like I'm at the early stages of my property journey. You know, at the minute, I'm obviously just trying to acquire sort of buy to lets, um, serviced accommodation. So that's like booking.com, properties that go into Airbnb and HMOs, so their houses of multiple occupation. So I'm trying to acquire those properties in Liverpool and Manchester. Those are my sort of focus areas. And yeah, basically scale, say scale significantly with the next few years. Talk a little bit more about the HMOs and how you get into that, for example. Because I read a book that you gave me recently, and that talks about like licenses and how that's changed. And now it's got to be properties with an existing license. Is that right? So um, HMOs, I think that we could spend a whole sort of podcast just talking about HMOs, but I'll give you sort of a brief summary of what a HMO is. So a house, a HMO is a, is called, is a house of multiple occupations. So that's where, say, six people, for example, who don't know each other um, live in the same house. They each have their own room. They may or may not have an ensuite and they share sort of kitchen dining facilities. Quite similar to what you, you see at university. For example, students are a tenant type who live in a HMO. So in terms of HMOs, they, they're a really good strategy if you're trying to, say, replace an income from a job because you can generate profits of sort of £800 a month upwards. That's pure profit after costs. Um, so that's your mortgage, your, your, sort of your bills, et cetera, management fee, um, stuff like that. So it's a good strategy for if you're trying to replace your job and move into property full time very quickly. Obviously, there is more and more sort of um, legislation coming in. We've got a directive called Article 4. So what that means is that you, in some areas, for example, in Manchester, you cannot convert a normal house into a HMO because they want to, there's basically too many. There's an oversupply of them. So obviously, the increasing legislation means that it's more difficult. But as I say, the more difficult something is, the more there's an opportunity there. So although this increasing legislation is coming in, I think it's a good thing because it means that landlords who weren't so serious who didn't want to who don't want to do property professionally are leaving the sector and as someone who wants to do this as a full-time job potentially or as part as a as a part of it or main part of a sort of a 40-hour week it means that it means that we are more serious and more professional we're providing good quality accommodation for those people so at the weekend we were out and we were with a friend from school and he said that he bought a four-bedroom house and he was doing the HMO thing so he lives in one bedroom the other three are let out yeah would you still be able to do that under the new rules if you're living in it does that make any kind of difference or would it just be you have to have the right kind of license and you can't rent out your spare bedrooms if you want to unless you have the license so on top of my head I think that a HMO is classed as a HMO if three people or more are living who don't know each other are living together and obviously it depends on the area so each individual council has their own rules but I'm pretty sure that in my particular area it's if three different people live in the same house then it's classed them a HMO and you'd probably need a license if it's within article four I think that's probably the best explanation it does all get very technical so I wouldn't want to say for example up where you live in the northeast I wouldn't want to say what the 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 the, the sort of guidance is around there but around where I live and where I'm investing, three or more people in the same house is classed as a HMO. How easy is it to get a license? I'll be honest, I haven't done it, so I don't know. But I think it just depends on sort of the the uh, amount of HMOs that are in a particular area. So, for example, in Manchester, Fallowfield area, there are loads of HMOs. So trying to get a license in that particular area now with the Article 4 directive would be very difficult. However, an area like Bolton, where there is no Article 4 directive, you can, you can do it without, with, with, very, with, with quite a bit of ease. In fact, I don't think there'd be any sort of opposition to it. Could you talk about whatever, the, the mentoring thing that you've signed up for and what okay. difference that's made, and also what their experiences are with some of this stuff? Okay, so I think first off, I'm going to explain why I'm on a mentoring program. So basically, I'm on a sort of 12-month coaching program. The reason behind this is there's, there's many reasons, but basically, as I mentioned, my parents have got a small portfolio and basically they've lost a lot of money in property. Um, I think they've lost probably over six figures in property, which is a, a ridiculous amount of money. It's, and I think obviously what that does is create fear. Now, when I started learning about property, I would reference people on YouTube, 
to my parents and say, well, look, this is what, you know, these guys are doing. My parents are very open-minded um, and like, okay, you know, and they're like, okay, th- you know, this makes sense, you know, and, and there were quite a few people doing it, not just HMOs, but they were doing very strategies in different areas. Then in 2020, I had, I was looking at property, we we're looking at buying a property and I think we agreed the deal in February, but I spent the whole summer looking at this property and I was just like, the numbers don't work. The numbers don't work. So in about November or October, when I had to basically sign the contracts, I backed out of it, I lost a bit of money in that. And that was 2020. So coming into, so after that had gone through, I started going to some free events, putting myself around, put myself around people who, who were property investors or ahead of me in the game. Started to speak to more people, get myself to these free events. But again, my biggest problem was on YouTube and social media, you'll see, I was seeing someone do, oh, I'm doing a buy to let in, in Glasgow. And then I'd see another person, oh, you need to do commercial to residential conversion in Liverpool, or you need to do a HMO in Leicester. And we would, I think for me, I felt very unfocused. I didn't know, I was very directionless. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what was the best strategy for me. So I was like, right, what do I need to do to help me? And also around this time, I had this idea of what I was trying to do, what I wanted to achieve and what I believed was possible in property. So so I thought, right, how do I get to where I'm trying to get to? And they always say, when I obviously briefly at the start of this podcast, I mentioned about investing and investing is a, is a big term. And I believe investing in yourself is the biggest thing before you invest in the stock market or you in property, you need to invest in yourself. So I said, right, I want to build a big portfolio up and how am I going to go about doing this? So how about I put myself in rooms where people have done this, people have done this and people have done it time and time again. So yeah, I signed up to, to a 12 mentoring co- mentor, mentoring program, cost me a significant amount of money, but it's been one of the best things I've ever done because it's it's put me in a room full of property investors, people who are people, some people just get started, some people who are who are already way down the line. You're in a group of people who want to win. You're in a winner's environment. And I think your network is your net worth. It's such a cliche thing, but like for me, I didn't know anyone around my age who was investing in property and I think some of the conversations we've had, Sam, is that there are very few people who want to talk about property or investing or stocks and shares or investing self or self-development. So how do I put myself in an environment where, where people want to win and people want to grow and people want to support you and do well? And for me, it was it was going and doing a 12 coaching program. And I think the other thing as well, like we spend, like I know I spent, I've got a probably student loan debt of probably 70 grand. We spent, I spent five years of my life to get, to become a pharmacist and and we don't bat an eyelid of that you know that's fine that's normalized but I think sometimes whenever someone says oh I've paid for a course or oh, I'm investing myself it's almost like a taboo subject and I know the we talk about ROI's return on investment in both stocks and shares and in property and you know what was my return on investment from going to university well you know I spent five years in my, five years of my life and I got a good degree and you know I'm gonna have, I have a job for life that's going to pay me between 40 and say I don't know 60 70 grand a year as a pharmacist but what is my ROI potentially of doing a 12-month mentoring program in property well my ROI could be infinite it could in theory make me millions it could also make me bankrupt but you know what's the best case what's the worst case and what's the likely case the likely case is is that the ROI of potentially doing a coaching program is going to be greater than the ROI of doing a university course and that's why I did it, because I wanted to go away after the 12-month coaching program, knowing that I had built a foundation. I'd built a foundation in property, and I wanted to, I want, I'm, I'm serious about this. I'm not messing about. I want to grow a big portfolio. And if I, it just means that this coaching program has allowed me to focus, focus on my location, put me around the right people. You know, I'm learning, I'm, I'm learning about property on a, on a rate that's unbelievable. And it's, I'm, I think the biggest thing though is, I'm just growing as a person, you know, and as much as I say, I want to buy loads of properties, that isn't what it's about for me. It's, it's more the journey I'm becoming as a human being. And for me, that's the most important thing. So I think that sort of summarizes. So are there any examples then, for example, of like lessons that you maybe learned as a result of being in this coaching program that could have been very, very expensive to learn on your own? 
or any takeaways that maybe like for example like you'd maybe have read in the books but wouldn't have fully appreciated or anything like that it's so difficult to pick up individual lessons because they're so very niche and you come across them when you face a problem and when you have a like-minded group you can obviously you know they can obviously bounce ideas off you how to resolve a solution but I think there are bigger fundamentals um, that I could probably talk about in terms of what I've learned. Mindset is the most important thing. I believe that, I think mindset is, I, I talk about property, but property is probably 60, 70% mindset, 20, 30% doing the work and only about 10% property. I know that doesn't equal 100% because obviously it's different for everyone, but I think the biggest thing is mindset is the most important thing. And so what do I mean by mindset? I think that it's it's about, with property, you're going to come across so many headaches, so many challenges, and it's about working through those challenging challenges and 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 pushing past them. Because, like honestly, I think that property is 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 so hard. It's it, I think on the face of it, everyone says, "Oh, it's easy." You know, you you put you, you buy a property, and you keep it for years, and you know, yeah, you you can do you can probably get a good return off that. But when you're trying to seriously build a property business, it's it's not easy. And I think I've said to you on, on quite often, I feel like most days I'm, I'm banging my head against a brick wall because it's, you don't know where your next deal comes from. You don't necessarily sometimes know how you're going to fund it. You don't know challenges with tenants, challenges with state agents, challenges with your solicitor. It's constant challenges, but from challenges and failure, I believe you grow. So yeah, mindset's probably the biggest thing. I think the second thing is your network is your net worth. It's again another cliche thing, but if you want to succeed, you've got to put yourself in the right environments. And for me, I want to succeed in property and putting myself around people who are actually doing it, as opposed to you know someone on the street or someone in the gym saying, "Oh, you know, I've had this problem or that problem." You know, I think you know your environment is so important, and I think being around people who want to win is so important. And I think the final probably key learning is that you're always learning you know I, I think you when you commit to this you you like anything like investing in stock stock market etc you're you're committing to lifelong learning I think I said to you every day is a learning day and I think you have to approach that with with any type of business I know it's investing property but it's still a business you know you've got to commit to learning you've got to commit to continue investing yourself and I think those are probably the three things right now that, that pop in my head. No doubt other things will come up, but, you know, you, you've asked me. So, yeah, that's probably the, the, the three things that pop into my head. How did you actually find your mentoring program then? So I'd, I'd basically been on YouTube and watched a lot of people, um, spoken to a lot of people, and I tried to find a coach who resonated with me. The, the particular coach who, who, who runs my training program based on what I'd seen, he was responsible for other people on YouTube being successful. A lot of people credit him. He's been investing for as long as I've been alive. So he's been investing since 1995, the year I was born. So that he has a good track record. And interestingly enough, someone I knew had done his program and said it was a, a brilliant program. And, and, and he himself was, has, has, is now doing property full-time in less than two years. So for me, that's the reason I chose that particular training program. But again, you've got to find someone that resonates with you, who um, embodies your ethos. And for me as well, is the environment. So I'd, uh, the environment, we, we, got a, we got a taster of that. I'd like a, a taster weekend. And yeah, I enjoyed the environment. And it was an environment that, that I thought I could flourish in. So those are sort of the reasons that I chose that particular coaching program. This is backtracking quite a bit, but you talked about, you know, like what, when you had a deal arranged in 2020 or whatever it was, and then you pulled out and then you, you, yeah. you met, you referred to the amount of deals that you're actually like, you know, banging your head against a wall. How many deals do you, because I think there's, there's almost as well as, like you said, there's a perception that you just maybe, you know, spend a little bit of time browsing on right move. You buy a house and then you just wait for it to go up. Could you talk about what you actually, what you're looking for in a deal and how many deals you actually have to say no to before you find a deal? So what am I looking for in a deal? So for me, the, the main things are, is it in my target area? So my target area, Manchester and Liverpool, is it cash flow positive? So it has to provide me with a profit at the end of each month. 
because if he's not providing you with a profit, it's then a liability. And uh, Sam, as you are, as you know, as well as I do, you don't want liabilities. Is it an area of sort of strong mental demand? Um, as in, you know, will this will this rent well? You know, it's not in the middle of the North Sea, for example. That probably wouldn't rent well. But you know, if it's in the sense of say say Manchester, it probably would rent really well. You know, will I hold on to this property for the long run? And that's because if you think long term in investing, the, the chance of you losing money are probably relatively lower than if you think short term. And then the final point is, um, well, there's, there's two more. There's, you know, always have a cash buffer. So don't be investing to your limit. Always have that buffer in case things go wrong, because things do go wrong in property. Like anything, things go wrong with stocks and shares. Things are wrong in crypto. Things are on NFTs. Same with property. Property probably more so because you're doing it's a business dealing with people um, and obviously maintenance issues. And the final one is ideally you want to buy from motivated sellers. So in this market, that's very difficult because of, you know, house prices are flying. So trying to find someone who, you know, sell you at a sell to you at a bit of a discount is very difficult. But when the market eventually does sort of chill itself out, <laughs> you're trying to look for people who are motivated, um, who you can help, you know, you know, who can, you know, potentially help from being repossessed, potentially help from, you know, probate properties, for example, you know, where, where people have unfortunately passed away, you know, help people, basically help people and find a solution for their problems. We're not taking advantage. We're not taking, we're being ethical about the way we invest. We're helping people who have a problem and need a solution and need potentially a quick solution. And that's where property investors come in um, because we can help them with their problem and provide a solution and then provide a great quality property to a great tenant um, in a great area that, that will provide great housing. And in terms of what am I looking for? So I'm looking for, like I said to you, buy to let HMOs, SAs. Um, I have a target return of ROI uh, of, of sort of 10% for buy to let and 15% sort of for HMO service accommodation. However, the deals I'm doing now aren't necessarily the deals that I might do in two, three years. One of the things, as I mentioned, it's an ongoing process of learning. And as I build more knowledge and skill and 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 understanding of this industry, the, the same deals I probably won't be doing in, in in two, three, four years. But right now, that's my criteria. And as I grow and learn, then, then obviously that that will change. So you mentioned a target of 10% for vital lights and 15% yeah. for HMOs. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just do HMOs and get the 15%? maybe i'm being a little simplistic here because like anything um like any sort of market there are diversification is is crucially important and you know yeah like diversification is crucially important you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket because you know um you don't want to expose yourself to too much risk if you have a diversified portfolio like same in stocks and shares like you have a divert you don't put all your don't put all your money in one stock i know some people do (laughs) but i certainly wouldn't but it's about having a, a portfolio that if, say, if one, one sort of product isn't working. So, for example, if buy for example, aren't working, you have another product that works. And the other, the other thing is like, you've got to think about sort of your time as well. So HMOs are more, will, they are more, more time consuming in terms of managing them and um, sorting them out. Whereas buy you know, um, potentially you could have a tenant in there for 5, 10, 15 years and doesn't require much maintenance and much doesn't require much input you know they, they're there and it just sort of is there and it just sort of ticks on in the background whereas a hmo in service accommodation like in for example service accommodation you've got to consider cleaning you've got to consider um you know guest welfare you've got to consider you've got to be getting good reviews you know that sort of thing so it's just about having diversified portfolio um so obviously i've only spoken about residential but we've also got the whole commercial side so commercial property in terms of um owning offices and stuff you know, I might be interested in that in the future, again, as a more diversification, reduce my risk, and another income stream. I think in this day and age, you can't, I just don't believe you can only have one income stream, um, especially at the minute with sort of inflation at what, seven, eight, nine percent. So if I can have multiple streams of income within property, one, it, it you know, it provides with that, it provides with income that, that comes from various sources. And um, it's, yeah, gives me that diversification. So if, you know, if shit hits the fan and we have a, um, you know, a 2008, for example, I, I'll be fine. I'll be, I'll be okay. And so if we did have a 2008, would that impact your strategy at all? Because um, like in the book, for example, it talks about you, you try and find these undervalued properties, maybe get one at say like 
20% below market value. We'll assume that's very, very difficult in today's market. So maybe you're actually paying much closer to the market value. Even if the return's very good, what happens if you get a 2008 and all of a sudden you're in negative equity? Because I think in the book, it basically, it's talking about really like after a couple of years, you've improved the value of the property and you're releasing that equity and then using that to go out and fund your other ones. And in, in, in a 2008 scenario, how does that strategy change if at all? So for me, how would a 2008 sort of situation affect me? Well, as long as your properties are cash flow positive and you don't have to sell, negative equity isn't really a concern. And this is where, again, I've, I've tried to study people who, who, who lost a lot of money or lost sort of everything in 2008, which sounds horrible, but it's just that I'm trying to learn their lessons of what they did that, that, that caused them to, to have such issues. Because, you know, properties supposedly, you know, you can't go wrong with property, everyone says. Well, clearly people are doing something wrong for them to, you know, I've heard of various stories about people losing everything. And the biggest thing, again, it seems to be, are you buying cash flow positive properties? So that's cash flow positive after all your mortgage debt, after your mortgage, after your management fees, et cetera. And were you forced to sell? Anytime you're forced to sell, both in property and in the stock market, if you're forced to sell, then it puts you, you know, it, it causes issues. It puts you at a sort of a, not in a great position. So yeah, I think if you focus on those two principles based on the reading that I've done, um, you can't go wrong. And Again, you know, I might that that comment might come back to bite me in a few years. But you know, I, I've only I've just studied people who were ahead of me and people who've who did well two thousand eight and did poorly out two thousand eight. And yeah, that, that's only two things I can say in terms of a two thousand eight. You know, it would also be a benefit to me because it mean that property prices were down. It mean that access to properties would be easier because obviously. What, what did they say? Do do the opposite of the masses. Well, when people get fearful, you need to be greedy, and when 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 people are greedy, greedy, you need to be fearful. And, you know, right now in property, it feels that people are being greedy. So this is the time where I'm being quite fearful, being cautious, making sure I'm checking everything. Yeah, a 2008 sort of situation, if you've put yourself in the right position and you've followed the, the, the principles and the steps, I can't see there being any issues. I just want to jump back as well, Sam. I think I missed a question. Uh, I missed an answer to the earlier question. I think you asked me sort of how many property deals oh, yeah. before I do it. Sorry, I missed that. I've just remembered. So. Probably about 80% of property deals that I look at, I, I don't touch and put them in the bin pile. You're looking for sort of your 10%, 10 to 15%. So if you're looking at about 100 properties, you'd probably be looking to pick up probably five or six by, by the time you get to the nitty gritty of it. So that sort of shows the, the amount of work you have to do to try and find properties that actually work. So yeah, it's... Um, so when we're I'm saying... Getting- when we're saying that you're looking at 100 properties, we're not talking about, for example, if I was to give you a random sample of 100 properties, or is this 100 properties where you've already looked on right move and thought, well, this could tick my criteria, and then it's from that 100 that you get to your five or six? So, so I think what I mean, what I mean by that, that statement is I'll get emails every single day from various people saying, I've got this deal, I've got that deal, I've got this deal. Again, so from that 100, obviously a few won't work because it's not my strategy. A few, a few won't work because it doesn't hit my say ROI criteria. It might not work because of location. So you're constantly shifting through those emails as well as doing my own search in terms of doing my own stuff in terms of viewings and stuff. So then you'll get, you know, you'll get to your and even the ones you view, you're viewing a lot of properties to try and get the ones that sort of work. And you're putting in, or you should be putting in a lot of offers, and you'll just get a lot of rejections because various reasons people want obviously people want the best price and as an investor you you can't necessarily give them best price because it all down to numbers the numbers have to work for you to be able to buy that property the numbers don't work then it's it's not for me unfortunately it's and that's that's fine that's just the game that's just the way it is so yeah i think i think i've answered that so yeah basically there's there's almost like two trains you've got your lead train in terms of the ones I'm actively looking for in terms of the, the work I'm doing is sort of booking viewings and looking at right move. And then you've got your second train, which is your emails where you've got deal sources coming in, providing you with properties, which obviously you're trying to find that, like I said, that those hidden gems that will be deals. But yeah, I think that sort of sums it up. How much work are you doing at the minute in property then? Because I mean, one of the things that is unappealing to me about property is this is partly from watching you going out hustling on Instagram 
it seems like a lot of work and i said it to you when we've been chatting like one of the things i do like about my stocks is they never ring me at two in the morning because the boiler's broken no one's rang me at two in the morning to say their boiler's broken you'll probably get there and given it enough time <laughs> whereas i'll never i'll never have that from a stock i can say categorically whereas you do have the possibility <laughs> Okay, so how much work am I doing? Well, obviously, this is you've got to view this business that I'm starting as a startup. So at this moment in time, it's very much you're doing a lot of work for very little reward. And obviously, my portfolio is still very small. So in terms of a lot of the work that I'm doing is just finding properties and networking with people and trying to find deals. Now, if this was 2010, 2011, 2012, it, I'd probably be scaling a lot quicker than I am. But because we're in this market that's really hot, it's very difficult. So at the minute, I probably do about sort of two to four days of pharmacy work. And then I spend the rest of my time sort of property, self-development, networking events, etc. cetera. Um, but what I try and do is I try and do something in property every day to keep the momentum going. Now, some may say, may say that's, that's a bit obsessive. And I think you have to be obsessed in this industry because it's, you know, you're, you can, as much as you, as much as there's not really any competition because you can't see competition, it's, it's very hard to find deals in this market. And in terms of, so I think that sort of summarizes how much time I spent, but the other thing, I like this, I enjoy it. So for me, it doesn't feel like work. So, which is probably a good thing because if you were doing it to try and make money, I honestly don't do property, genuinely don't do property because you're not going to see a reward for your work until probably five, 10 years down the road, minimum. So if you're doing this for the, the quick reward, the quick, the quick sort of, the quick, you know, the, the quick cash, then property isn't, isn't that. Go and find something else to do, you know, I don't know. Go, 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 go into a casino or something. I don't know, but don't do property. Property is hard work, but I enjoy it. So it doesn't feel like work. And in terms of your second question, well, part of that question is you mentioned, oh, no one's rang me up um, to, 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 you said I don't want my, my tenant ring me for a boiler. That's I don't, why yeah, I don't want to have to deal with people. Yeah, so so that's where you've got to use leverage. You've got to leverage your time, like like we leverage with mortgages and we use banks' money and other people's money. You've got to leverage your time. So all the properties that I that the properties that I the the properties that I own or look to own in the future, I will never manage them. I value my time. I want to be you know seeing you and discussing things on you know about life and reading and traveling. I want a life. This. I don't want to be, you know, fixing a, a fixing a door handle or sorting out a boiler. I don't want to be doing that. And that's where you've got to leverage your time in terms of using estate agents. So I'll just give you an example um, in terms of time element. So a property that that um, my parents currently own, um, they've done four hours of work in the last five years on one property. So you it doesn't require a lot of time. But again, it's about leveraging other people so it's about using letting agents and that's why the amount of time spent on that one particular property is very low now if you did it yourself the amount of time you spent trying to find a tenant you know checking um boiler certificates gas certificates etc then your time that you'd you'd need would be increased so again i think that to answer your question is how involved do you want to be I don't want to be a landlord. I've got no desire to have a, you know, a big bag of keys and go and check in my tenants every single day. I don't want to do that. I don't want another job. I already have another job. You know, I'm a pharmacist. I have a job. I want to be doing other things with my time. And that's where leveraging is important. So what would you say then, you know, because a lot of our listeners, they are primarily stocks and shares, or I assume they are if they're listening to this every week. What would you say if we've got a list and say they're reasonably wealthy, got a good sized stock portfolio and had some money to actually start dabbling in property, but they're not obsessed with it and they've maybe got like kids to look after and they're, they're not going to be going out, you know, going to like 10 viewings a day. Or so. how, how would you suggest someone like that get into it? I think first off, there's two things I want to pick up from there. Pick up from that. First thing is you don't want to dabble in property. If you dabble in property, you're probably going to lose money. You've got to be serious about property. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go and, you know, take over the world and buy a billion properties. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that why? Why do you want to invest in property? Why? The reason well, say, invest- say this person wants the diversification. They've already got a million pounds of stocks and they've got half, say they've got 500 grand of cash sitting around. Okay. It's hypothetical scenario. Okay. So 
I think I'd probably start with what's your why? Why do you want to get involved in property? So you said diversification. Well, okay, that's a, a valid point. Do, do, what, what is the sort of, what are you trying to achieve from property? Is it just another income stream or do you want to quit your job? I think you've got to reverse engineer why you're doing it. Because if you're doing it because, oh, I just want to preserve wealth. Well, that's fine. You know, you can go and buy, you can just go and park that 500,000, I think you mentioned. You can just go and buy one or two flats in the city of Manchester worth about 250K and you probably have no headache, no hassle, but you wouldn't be building a property business. You're preserving wealth as opposed to building wealth. And now, and that's sort of the difference. There's two trains of thoughts of property. There are property investors and the people who invest in property. Property investors are people like me who, you know, leveraging are trying to build a reasonable size portfolio, trying to build a property in business, a property business. People who invest in property are people who are trying to preserve wealth. And they're two very different skill sets and they're two very different training thoughts. And you need to decide which camp you're in. Are you in camp A or are you in camp B? And I think from that, you can decide where you want to go. For me, I've said, obviously, I've said I'd like to be doing property for most of my time. So my strategy and the way I do things would be very difficult if you just wanted, like I said, two or three properties and you just wanted a bit of diversification. Because if you're trying to build a, a big portfolio, you've got to be focused. It's not, like I said before, it's not easy. And it's a lot of hitting your head against a brick wall. And it's a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of hustling. And it's not, whereas if you're trying to obviously preserve wealth and property, then I can, you can find a property tomorrow that probably fit your criteria, you know, and give you a steady income. So I think I'd probably say, what's your why? And I think also question how big a size portfolio you're looking to achieve and then work backwards from there. And then like, if you're trying to build a big portfolio, then maybe it's worth, you know, going to some free courses, getting yourself to networking events, potentially paying for a coach. But if you only want two or three properties just to sort of sit in the background, I don't think you need to be doing all that. You know, you can just, you know, find find a deal source or you know find some developers in a, in a big city and, and park your money there and again you'll do really well but obviously you won't be leveraging you won't be you know getting the best return but you will be getting a return and that's that's equally fine there's no right or wrong in property everyone's got their own strategy everyone's got their own goals and it's down to the individual to decide what they want to do you think of valuations at the moment then i know you've touched on it earlier in terms of property valuations, obviously we're on the up cycle. So there are property prices, you know, are, are very high and I think the highest they've ever been in terms of the average house price. And I'll be honest, I don't see easing off anytime soon. As far as my understanding of property and the cycles, we've probably got about another two years, two, either between about 1.5 to three years of growth. And then I think there will be some sort of correction. But I don't know that. All I'm doing is, again, doing what you do in stocks and shares is, the best time to buy property was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And if I'm holding for the long run, cycles don't really play a part. Like I said, the best time to buy is now. You talked about cycles and 1.3 yeah. to 5 years. Where's that figure come from? Okay, so there's a theory. There's a theory. to 3 years, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So there's a theory called the 18-year property cycle. As with anything, I, I think take it with a pinch of salt but a lot of people ahead of me in the game who are more knowledgeable reference this. And this is basically, again, property cycle is in 18 years. So a 2008 light crash is estimated to happen 18 years from 2008, which should be around the sort of 2025, 2026 mark. But again, it's, there's no proof in it. It's just a cycle. There's no evidence of that. It may be that, you know, we get a crash next year. We may get a crash in five years, but, it doesn't affect what I'm doing. I'm not bothered about that. I can't control that. The only thing I know is that the best time to buy property was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And if I'm holding properties for the long run, I'm talking 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years. Does it really matter what cycle or when in the cycle I bought it? Because like I said, like I referenced earlier in our conversation is that there is a lack of housing in this country. Property prices continually go up because the government isn't doing enough to allow more properties to be built. And we have, a, we have a shortfall of stock, and this shortfall is compounding every single year. So in terms of the cycle, yes, we have a cycle. Does it affect my investing? No. 
do I care about it? Well, I'll, I'll take it. I'll I'll take it with a pinch of salt and keep an eye on it. But I can't control it. It's an uncontrollable. And if I can't control it, then I can't really worry about it. Okay, same question, but interest rates instead of valuations. Okay, so I, again, I don't know if there's interest rate cycle, and again, same same sort of situation. I can't control it. I can't control interest rates. I think there's been a sort of trend that interest rates are on the way up, but again, I can't control it. So all I can do is, you know, factor in when I'm running my numbers, what would happen if the interest rates went up by a bit. So I'll factor that into my numbers and that's all I can do. That's the only thing I can do. It doesn't stop me from investing. Again, it'd be, it'd be difficult as a property investor to sort of see that, you know, the, the highs of the eighties, where I think it's about 14, 15%, 15%, I think interest rates based on, conversations i've had with various people okay so what would happen to your portfolio then if interest rates were at say five percent could you still do what you're doing and would you have because you when, when you're planning that you're getting cash your cash flow positive yeah. what happened i'm assuming that i mean i'm assuming that properties you've got they're not going to be on 30-year fixed term mortgages at some point you'll have no. to remortgage and what happens if the interest rates jump by five percent would, would all these deals still be cash flow positive or would you just up the rent <laughs> So if the interest rates went up to 5%, is that your question? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so for me, obviously, my, my, my positive cash flow would be reduced, but I run, my figures, I, I run my figures slightly higher than that. And so I tend to run my figures at 6%. And if, if a property is cash flow positive at 6%, then I'm relatively happy. So again, I give myself that buffer. That's um, very conservative. Yeah. Well, I think you have to be. You no, know, no, I it's good. It. It's good. But I'm surprised yeah. that in this environment, you're using 6% as like your buffer because so that is a I high use, interest rate. So I've won, so won my mortgage interest rates at 4% and 6%. So 6% is the upper limit. Again, that's the advice I've been given. And I can only go off, again, copy, copy what people do who are ahead of you in the game. Copy what successful people do. And stress testing at 6%. And if I'm in positive cash flow, then I can't do much else. You know, if, 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 if mortgage interest rates go to seven, 8%, well, just go, to go back to pharmacy. Yeah. Just, just quit and go back to pharmacy. I can't, but again, I can't control that. But what I can control is that what are interest rates now? So I think interest rates that I'm getting in a limited company is about sort of 3%. So, you know, what are they going to be in two, three, four years? Well, you look at what the bank of England's saying and you, you hazard a guess and you, 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 you listen to what other people in the industry are saying who are more knowledgeable and ahead of your game and what are they saying? And you run your figures and that's all I can do. If, if it goes above 6%, it goes above 6%. There's nothing I can do, but I've done the work, you know, I've done my due diligence in terms of what potentially could, could happen, stress testing. And look, I, I, you, you can't control everything. You know, you, you like anything, I think the 80-20% rule, 80-20 rule is that, you know, I can do my due diligence for 80%, but there's still that element of 20% risk, even in the safest of deals, you know, even say, you know, index funds, there's still that element of risk. There's still that 20%, you know, where it goes to zero. But again, I think if, it, if the index funds go to zero, we've got bigger issues, but, you know, the fundamental point sort of remains. What are the best books you've read about property investing and how much do you read in general? Best books for property investing. So I think if... I think what I do is if best books in general, so I'll start with that. Um, best books in general, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Millionaire Next Door, Four Hour Work Week. I've referenced them the second time I've referenced them, but those three books changed my life quite literally. I think one of the biggest things I did when I read those three books, it was just this sort of like moment of, I don't feel like I know enough about the world. I don't feel like I knew enough about being an adult and reading so important. I've learned so much. I, constantly trying to absorb content podcasts books are the main two things also watch a lot of youtube don't really watch tv don't really watch netflix and don't really watch films so if you ask me about have you watched this film the answer will be probably no but if you ask me have you read this book or what listens to this podcast the answer will probably be yes so i try and read as much as possible it's quite difficult i try and read about a book a month this year i've been not the best been quite slack on it but yeah, I read a lot. And again, what mirror what successful people do. Successful people read. What is it? Again, Warren Buffett reads four hours a day. So, and, you know, look at how successful he's been. And again, Titans in my industry, Titans in your industry, how much are they reading? They're, they're reading a lot. So, you know, if you want to be successful, mirror what successful people do. I feel like I say that, I've said that a lot of this podcast, but I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, Sam. You know, I'm not clever enough to reinvent the wheel. You know, I'm... I'm just trying to copy what successful people have done. And, you know, if reading is that 
is that thing, then then yeah, read. In terms of property books, I think Property Magic, that was one of the first books I read. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, although it doesn't talk necessarily about property, I think it's a good starting point. I've just read a couple of books recently called Multiple Streams of Property Income and um, Property Investor Secrets by Rob Moore and Mark Comer. Again, two sort of titans in this industry. A beginner's guide to property investing. So for you guys who maybe, like I said, are on the fence, not sure what to do, that was a, a good start, a really good starting point. And I think that's by Rob Dix. And there's a book by, oh, I've forgotten his name. There's a, it's, I can remember the, the cover of it, but it's by an American author. It's, it's, I think it's the, multi, the Millionaire Property Investor or something. If I can find it, if you can give me two seconds, I'm about to find it. But Oh, that's it. The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And there's another book by the same author. Um, I can't remember his name, but those two books are brilliant. So what are the best resources that you use for investing? And these can be free or paid best resources youtube youtube's brilliant if you can if you're trying to build up a sort of very small portfolio you can learn a hell of a lot from youtube in terms of resources you've got right move obviously zoopla obviously that's where your properties are air dna which is for, for sort of service accommodation you've got property tribes which is basically a property forum really good lots of information there and networking events like go and google you know property networking events go and google business networking events because at those events with people who are more successful than you and have more insight and older than probably me and you. So, you know, learn off people who are doing what you want to do. I think that's probably one of the biggest advice. Don't go and learn. For example, you wouldn't go and learn, um, you know, how to play golf by Roger Federer. You're going to learn about how to play tennis by Roger Federer. And by the same token in property, go and learn, go and learn off people who are doing what you want to do. So don't go and learn off someone who isn't doing what you want to do or the guy in the gym or the guy in the, the supermarket. There's no point. Mirror what successful people are doing and you should get some level of success. Who do you look up to as an investor? I think, I think Buffett. I think Buffett's, in terms of your sector, Buffett is someone who's done incredible things. I think Grant Cardone. I think we're watching a guy on Instagram who is going to go to a billion. Um, I think what he's done in terms of social media, in terms of property. And he's someone who I look up to in terms of his understanding of personal finance and monies and properties is, is phenomenal. In terms of this country, um, obviously, I think sort of my mentor, he's been doing it sort of 25 years, 26 years, whatever. And obviously I've seen how sort of, I've seen what he's doing and et cetera. I think Rob Moore and Mark Homer, again, two guys who just normal people and they've literally written step-by-step step how to build a business like theirs. I also look up to sort of, I think, Lewis Morgan, Ben Francis. I love entrepreneurship and I think what they did with Gymshark is is phenomenal. I think their story is amazing. And I think, again, the Lewis Morgan podcast is is a podcast that I reference and um, it's a podcast that I've learned so much from. So that's a you know another resource that some of your listeners may be interested in. Again, it's more about entrepreneurship, but it's it's still fascinating. Again, I learn a lot about the stock market from his set of podcasts, funnily enough. So I think his podcast is good. Who else do I look up to um, in property? Yeah, I think I, probably, I think I probably covered it. There'll probably be a few others that, that pop into my head. But yeah, in terms of investing in property and business, those are the main people who I sort of look up to. I don't know how much you use Twitter, but are there any good Twitter accounts you'd recommend following to do with property investing? Um, no. Don't really follow anyone on, on Twitter for property. Uh, Instagram, again, Grant Cardone. Oh, Instagram's fine probably. if you want to do some Instagram. Yeah, Instagram, probably Grant Cardone's the main one. Yeah, there's there's, no, there's yeah, there's not many. I think there's there's quite a few, but they're on the, again, they're still, the biggest problem with property is that a lot of the people who are doing it are, you know, are 40, 50, 60. There are very few people who are sort of my age who are doing, which I understand because obviously, you know, in, for some strategies you need a lot of money it does take a lot of time to build the knowledge but yeah there's no one I don't know anyone who's really like smashing the game who's sort of our age they're obviously doing really well but there's no one who's like you know there's no one like a, a sort of Lewis Morgan who's worth 100 million at 28 30 or whatever in property because of how long it takes so yeah I don't there's very few I think the only only other resource I can think of that'd be helpful is again just podcasts. So the Property Hub podcast is a good one. Also listen to Graham Stefan, so personal finance stuff. But yeah, not many. I wish there were more. Maybe I maybe I could be that guy. Anyway, what do you wish you sorry, what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started out? 
you want me to answer this question from 2020 or from when I was 18? Because I think I could probably give you more value. To probably 18. when, when, however you want. Okay. So become obsessed with learning. Like you've got to constantly keep learning. If you're not learning, you're stagnant. If you're stagnant, you're going backwards. Network like your life depends on it. Quite literally. Yeah. So I, I, I stumbled across a video on Instagram and I've referenced this a few times to various people and it talks about how this billionaire became a billionaire. And he said that the reason he, he, he got from a millionaire to billionaire was because of how much he networked. He networked like his life depended on it. And I, I, I read, I watched that video probably about a year ago and I've, I've tried to network like my life depends on it and things are just starting to happen. And it's weird. Success leads clues, follow people who are doing what you want to do. You've got to be courageous. You have to be courageous to, to, to try and build anything, I believe. You have to be fearless and courageous. Um, there were two definite traits that you need because there'll be a lot of naysayers who say, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. And you, you have to try and push through that because when you break it down, a lot of the human beings who have done amazing things are just normal human beings. So I think, yeah, just ignore the naysayers. Have I said your network is your net worth? I think that's crucial. Um, You've said that, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> probably too many times and then sunk cost fallacy as well just because you've done something for a long time doesn't mean you have to keep doing it so obviously again i could have i could have just stuck with pharmacy and you know had a relatively decent life you know invested in index funds at, what is it 200 250 pound a month over 40 years in the smp will make me a millionaire is that the, is that it something like that but Sounds right. it, but it you know but it, it wasn't gonna make me happy and regardless of what you do just make sure you're happy in what you're doing you know and if you're not happy doing something life's long so you can change and do things and challenge yourself and yeah focus on growth you know as i said this journey is as much as about property it's more about the person you're becoming and and mindset as well mindset's the biggest thing if you can't sort your mindset out you won't succeed in anything not just business or property not just investing but i think relationships health etc your mindset is the, the most important thing so fuel it with positivity, you know, listen to the right things, you know, don't listen to negative people Um, listen to stuff that's going to enrich you. That's podcasts, that's people, get yourself, get yourself around the right people. How have you evolved as an investor? How have I evolved as an investor? I think just my understanding of it. I think my, one of my biggest disappointments is you're not taught about this between the ages of sort of 15, 16 to 24. You kind of have to stumble across, stumble across this world by yourself. And I think that if I knew what I knew now, I, you know, I sometimes wonder if the choices I've made at 18, 19 would be the same in terms of going to uni, et cetera. I think that my perceptions of what's achievable has changed in terms of, I always used to think, you know, how successful people successful and you realize it's just steps. It's just the process. And if you don't understand the process, you, you won't understand it. But once you understand the pro there's a process behind investing once you understand that that's when you probably have success how have i involved as an investor and i think just i think just just reading more and learning about it it's again it's a bit like a an onion you you're constantly peeling back layers and you're constantly learning more and more and i've said it i've already said it once this podcast every day's a learning day but it's true you know you can never stop learning there's always something you don't know and you've got to find that information because that information may make you a lot of money also may lose you a lot of money but I think you've just got to be, yeah. I think the biggest thing is just, just constantly trying to learn. Accepting you're, you're not, not the finished product and you never will be. What are the biggest mistakes you've made in investing? Not starting early enough. Probably the biggest mistake. I wish I'd started at 18. Wish I'd started at 19. I wish I'd started, you know, learning about property and investing when I was 18, 19, if not earlier. Maybe, again, not putting myself around the right people early enough. Our friendship has grown in terms of the last sort of, you know, especially two, three years. Well, mainly the last year because we've got a common interest in investing. You know, I kind of wish that, you know, we'd spoken more before a year ago, a lot more, but... Um... I'd have been less help. I've gotten better <laughs> and, as I've gotten older. And, and so would I, Sam, because we didn't have the information. You know, we didn't have the information. We're, like I said, we're, every day's a learning day, we're learning. I think, yeah, those are probably the biggest two mistakes. And probably not reading enough. Not reading enough. And I, I know why, because during uni stuff, I just didn't want to read. You know, you, you've got your head in books. But, you know, if I'd read a bit, I'd pulled it at 16 or 18, you know, where would I be? Don't know. Interesting question. Hindsight's well, a I read it at 19 and I'm still here on this podcast, so <laughs> maybe the answer's the same. <laughs> so this next question, it's more, this is, this is written for the normal stock investors. 
Okay. Um, so you can interpret it however you want, or you might just say it's not really relevant. Let's move on. But the question is, how do you think about allocation and position sizing? How do I think about allocation and position sizing? So I'll, I, I think position size, I don't think I'll probably answer that, but in terms of allocation, I think just the main thing is having a diversified portfolio. I think that's probably the main thing. And make sure I'm not overexposed. So, you know, I'm right now, because I'm young, I can whisk a lot. So I'm whisking, I'm whisking, you know, I'm leveraging it, you know, getting 75% sort of mortgages, et cetera. I'm leveraging a lot. But as I get older, that sort of leverage will de- probably decrease and I'll probably shift it up a bit more to make it more safer. And then in terms of allocation, just making sure you're in different sectors, you know, I'm in vitalets, I'm in, I'm in vitalets, I'm in HMOs. Um, uh, no, so I'm not in HMOs yet, but it's something I want to get into. Yeah, I've got an S, I'm in the process of sort of um, doing a service accommodation. So having the, the different streams of income to, to, to reduce risk, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, I think that's, and then obviously, like I said, maybe commercial in the future, who knows? Uh, maybe again, maybe developments in the future, who knows? So just just being diverse. Final question. What are your thoughts on Bitcoin as an investment? Uh, yeah, I have back, I have Bitcoin myself. Again, diversification is key. Um, it's another asset class. And um, I find that, again, the, the, uh, I find the whole industry in industry fascinating. I think that, you know, where are we going, crypto? Where are we going? And again, same with property. We, you know, the best time to invest in crypto was probably 10 years ago. The second best time is now. So, you know, I don't see it going to zero anytime soon. And, and if it does, well, I'm not overexposed. It's not going to, you know, I'm not going to end up you know, on the streets. So, yeah, what, what, I think the question is why, if, if someone isn't investing in crypto, why aren't you investing in crypto? That's probably, the best, best, probably my best answer. What do you mean by crypto? Because I would define crypto as Bitcoin and then everything else, which I tend to refer to as shit coins. So how do you, what, what do you think about the other ones and Bitcoin standing in it? Um, so my, obviously, I my, my I'm only invested Bitcoin Ethereum, but again, if you can find that that Shiba and you're willing to be courageous, and you think it's going to go to you know whatever, do it, you know, because we, we've all got that mate who's like, oh, I invested in Ethereum in in um, in 2010 and then I sold it in 2012, whatever. You know, we've all got that mate. But do you want to be the mate or do you want to be the guy who's courageous? So. Look, same with property. Not every property is going to be amazing. You know, not every property is going to give you a return. Like I've already referenced, you know, parents lost a lot of money in property. So it's about how you how you sort of recover from those failures. And the same with same with crypto, you know. If you if 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 you can if you can, you know, if you can risk can risk money on some random coin, it goes goes up, then there's nothing that I can say. You've you've done the work. But again, I don't know enough about property to sorry, I don't know enough about the smaller coins to be able to hedge that bet, but if you've got the knowledge and you've got the courage and you're fearless and it's not going to wipe you out if you, you know, put in a small amount in some random coin, then, then why not? But again, that's me. I'm very, you know, I'm very, I'm such, I'm quite a high risk person. I'm willing to risk it because at the end of the day, there's some level of reward there, I believe. But a lot of people, you know, it, like 99% of people shouldn't get involved in property. 99% of people shouldn't get involved in crypto and in the, the shit coins. 99% of people probably shouldn't get involved in the stock market. It's what is your risk tolerance? It's as simple as that. And if you're comfortable, it's down to you. No one else is going to stop you. You've got to have the courage to do it. So we're at the end of the question list now. Is there anything you'd like to say? Um, and also where can people go if they do want to connect with you or find out more about you? I think first off, thanks for having me, Sam. I hope I've provided enough sort of content and detail for everyone. Yeah, main probably places Instagram, Satchin underscore Govind. I do have a YouTube channel that I do kind of need to restart because I did enjoy it and I want to put some more property stuff on there. But I think that's um, something for future me. Is there anything else I want to say? I think, like I said, property is a great vehicle and it's it's like stocks and shares and like crypto. It's it's a fascinating world. And I think so many people are on the fence and I think so many people don't understand the property. And I think that so many people, the, the first thing I mention when it comes to property, oh, I don't have the money for property. And... I think the first thing is get yourself, if, if you want to build a good portfolio, even if you just want to buy one property, actually do some work and research it, you know, research how much money do I need to buy a property? Because I think there were so many misconceptions about property. There's so much that I've learned. And yeah, it's, I, I think the, the, the biggest barrier, it seems to me is, oh, you know, I can't, you know, it's expensive to get involved in property. And that's not true. You know, if you can provide enough value and provide enough knowledge, then you will find investors. And I think, again, debt is good. Debt is really good. And 
understanding the right type of debt is important. There is good debt and bad debt. And you need to understand that because one will make you rich and one won't. One will send you the other way. So actually understanding that is very important. And if you're not sure about it, don't do it. You, with property as a business, you've got to view it as a business. This isn't, you know, if you're trying to build a reasonable sized portfolio, then you've got to be serious about it. You can't be sitting on the fence. You've got to be deadly serious. You've got to be willing to work hard and the rewards will come. I currently can't see the rewards, but I feel like I'm starting to see some momentum where, you know, things are starting to happen. And this is what, two years, two years since I got into it or got into the world of investing. And yeah, I think that sort of summarizes that. I think that property is brilliant. Property is fascinating. It's brilliant. And, you know, personally, I prefer stocks and shares, but again, I'm in a different sort of, I look at it differently. I'm trying to build a business as opposed to it being sort of a part-time hobby. But I love stocks and shares, I love crypto. And yeah, it, it, I, you know, as as we've sat down many times and I could, like I said, chat all night about property. And but yeah, if anyone, <laughs> but yeah, if anyone wants any help, then obviously get in touch. I'm more than willing to help. That offer may not be there in the future, but right now, because I know how difficult it can be for a beginner, I'm willing to help. So so get in touch if I can help. And um, yeah, best of luck. Right. Well, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.